In the beginning, there was darkness, and God created light. We saw his face illuminated, and we knew him. But then, as sin entered our hearts, we turned from him and plunged ourselves back into darkness. Our view of God grew dimmer and dimmer as we fled further away. We lost sight of his true character. The God we once saw shining bright in majesty became hidden from us by the lies we surrounded ourselves with. But even in the darkness, our God is in control. Even through our questioning, our God is ruler over creation and unchanging amidst our confusion. He is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, infinite in understanding. And we are blessed when we seek his face. Our love is deeper when we know the God of eternal love. Our worship is sweeter when we recognize the holiness of the author of life itself, when the lies and the mystery fall away. We know the truth about God. Well, good morning, Cornwall Church here in Bellingham. Uh, to those watching in Skagit, in Boca, and on the live stream, it is good to be with you this morning. And if we have not had the privilege of meeting, my name is Brian Mengel, and I'm the campus pastor at our Skagit campus, which, by the way, get your applause hands ready, next week at this time, uh, Skagit moves to two services. We are so excited. <clears throat> We are excited. I'm excited about being back on the platform after being banished to the penalty box by Pastor Bob late last fall. I'll tell you, it's, it's dark and it's, it's lonely there, but uh, it's good to be back. And speaking of Pastor Bob, if you have not watched last weekend's sermon, I encourage you to head to cornwallchurch.com or check out the app and watch his sermon as he launches this series, gave us a baseline for where we're headed now through Easter. And, and really, the series name says it all, the truth about God. Because to varying degrees, we are all truth seekers. It is part of our nature to want to know more. And more than that, to ultimately know everything. You know, think about the last time you sat in the movie theater and you're watching the movie. You want to know what's going to happen at the end. Or as you walk into your house after a long day and you smell the aromas of the meal, you want to know what's for dinner. Or come December, you look under the tree in the big wrapped box, I wonder what's inside. So in this series, our goal is to attempt as best we can to pull back the curtain on the attributes of God and present them in real, tangible ways for better understanding. And today I have no small task. I am looking at the three omni-attributes of God. Omnipresence, omniscience, omnipotence. And before we dive in, it is critical for us to understand and accept this fact. It is impossible to fully comprehend God's omni-attributes. 
It's impossible to understand fully these attributes. Now, don't throw in the towel. Don't give up just yet. This is merely to say that of all of God's attributes, these three are so big. They're so beyond our understanding that our finite brains can only comprehend maybe this much when there is this much to know and this much we will never know. In other words, after our time together today, it's okay if you feel something like this. Because I'll tell you, while I'm on the platform, I'm here too. You've likely heard of these attributes referenced before, omnipresence, omnipotence, omniscience. God is uniquely all three at the same time, all present, all knowing, all powerful. Now, history And culture has attempted to give us some figures that maybe match or meet these three uh, characteristics, attributes, but they don't meet the standard. Take this guy, for example. It's universally agreed that Santa is a pretty great guy. Uh, A jolly man in a red suit with a round belly that shook like a bowl full of jelly. How mean, by the way. And the song tells us that we better not uh, pout, we better not cry because he sees you when you're, and he knows when you're, and you better be good for goodness sake. So Santa sees, Santa knows, Santa checks the omniscient box, but we also know it takes this guy all night to get to all the kids of the world, so he's not omnipresent, and his power, well, let's be honest, It's conditional. It's fueled by milk and cookies. So he's not omnipotent either. But we're going to give Santa one out of three. How about this guy? Now this guy, we met in 1939. The Wizard of Oz, as Dorothy and the Scarecrow and the Tin Man and the Lion would make their way finally to the Emerald City. And down that hallway, they'd come face to face with the Wizard of Oz. Along with his green face and smoke and cauldrons of fire, he in a big booming voice greets them by saying, I am Oz, the great and powerful. So there you go. By his own declaration, we know that the the wizard of Oz, he yields some serious power. But remember what he says next. He says, who are you? Who are you? So, Oops, there goes omniscience. Apparently, the great and powerful Wizard of Oz does not know all. And don't get me started on his omnipresence. He travels by hot air balloon. So he only gets one out of three as well. We can run through multiple examples, but the fact is this. No matter who you put up, match up against God, God wins. Fictional or historical, royal or from Hollywood, a sports star or a superhero, there's none comparable to our great and powerful God. His majesty is unmatched. He's powerful and all-knowing and all-present like none other ever, and he's all three simultaneously. So my hope, my goal before you leave today is for you to have a better or refreshed understanding of these unique truths about God. So grab your scuba gear. We're going to dive right in. As I've already mentioned, God's omnipotence means he is all-powerful. He's all-powerful. Simply put, There is no one with greater power than God. He's unchangeable, he's unshakable, he is unstoppable. Nothing is impossible for him, for he is mighty 
and strong. Jeremiah would declare this truth. He would say, O sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Notice how he addresses God right from the get-go. He says, sovereign Lord. Even in his greeting, he acknowledges God is above all. God is in a league of his own. And how is it that God creates the heavens and the earth? It's by his great power. He holds it. He commands it. He exercises all the power available to him. Genesis will record that very first evidence of his unmatched power. It says, in the beginning, God created. He said, let there be light, and poof, there was light. David would write in Psalm 33, 9, for he, God, spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. See, without effort, because of this unlimited power, God makes things happen. God brings things to existence. Simply, God can and God does just like that. And you and I know God didn't create and then sit back in his lazy boy and retire. We know that his sovereign power continues to govern and sustain his creation today. I love what Jeremiah says at the end. Nothing is too hard for you. Nothing's too hard for you. Have you ever had someone say to you, oh, you made that look easy? You know, something you may not know about me is I am a terrible, horrible parallel parker. I'm not quite sure how I got my license, but I... I stink at parallel parking. I have practiced at getting better, but it is a real effort for me and quite the spectacle for anyone watching me. So it's become a reflexed reality that if parallel parking is required and my wonderful wife Shauna is in the car, we will switch places. Like, I have no shame in telling you I will throw the car into park We will run around the car, she'll take over the driver's seat, and she will parallel park like nobody's business with great ease. I mean, if Jeremiah was writing about this situation for me, he might say, oh, Shauna Mengel, you have parallel parked by your great power and your backstretched neck. Nothing is too hard for you. You see, for Shauna, it takes no effort to parallel park. For God, because of his power, more than we can understand, more than we can quantify or comprehend. It allows him to do what he does without any effort at all. Jeremiah is saying, nothing is too hard for you. It was a statement then, and it's an attitudinal cue for you and I today. Because God's power should call us to be in awe, but not afraid. It should call us to an awe, but not afraid. I read Jeremiah's comment here, nothing is too difficult for you. Not flippant, not sarcastic, but said with a great reverence and amazement. And for the Christ follower, that should do something for you. God doesn't use his power to scare us or or make us afraid of him. We are called to fear God, but there is a difference. See, godly fear isn't the same as the the fear of sitting under a, a dictator or a tyrant. I mean, remember our friend the Wizard of Oz who would hide behind the curtain and the smoke and the fire, ensuring anyone that came in the presence of the Wizard of Oz were afraid of him. 
We can be grateful our God is not like that. To fear God is to have an absolute reverence and awe for an almighty, all-powerful God. Flip to the Old Testament in Deuteronomy. You'll see it says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God? And goes on to say the how. To walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. In Psalm 98, 89, 7, it says, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in great reverence by those around him. You see, respecting God's power, being in awe of, his, of who God is, will look different for a Christ follower. It means being convicted about acting against his will dishonoring him with our actions, being complacent. Who cares about sin or neglecting the weight of what he's called us to do? Understanding what can be understood about God and his power should leave you wowed and wanting to live in a way that's in accordance to how God calls us. See, God's omnipotence commands it. But it's up to each of us to choose, to healthily and willingly choose to stand in awe of his power. And when we do, God's omnipotence should change how we feel safe. God's power should change how you feel safe. Because the deck is stacked against anyone that would challenge our God. That means it can be established, it can be true that God can only win any battle he's in. I mean, those of you that grew up in the late 80s and went to church or youth group, you'll remember a song made famous by Petra. In heavenly armor we're lent to the land, the battle belongs to the Lord. No weapon that's fashioned against us will stand, the battle belongs to the Lord. We sing glory and honor and power and strength to the Lord. Having God for you, saying through these lyrics, is like entering a battle with God in your corner. He's got your back. Blogger Debbie McDaniel said it this way. She said, God is for us, and that's the most powerful force we can have surrounding us. My, my son Dylan, he fortunately, unfortunately, inherited my height genes. And so when we moved to uh, Skagit County to be part of the Skagit campus, we enrolled him in the school near our house. And I remember on that first day and taking him into the school and looking around this sea of humanity, mostly taller kids, and I'm thinking, oh no, my son Dylan's going to be eaten alive. And so that dad fear in me was anxiety all day. Well, that subsided a couple of months into the school year. You see, I remember the day specifically, I was at parent pickup after school waiting with the other parents, and I see Dylan across the way with his red backpack. He's making his way from the school across the crosswalk to parent pickup to meet me. And I'll never forget it. There's Dylan, short little Dylan, surrounded by sixth graders, bigger, taller, popular sixth graders. And as they crossed the crosswalk and went their separate ways to their parents, I heard one after the other, bye Dylan, we're playing football tomorrow, Dylan. Dylan, we'll see you tomorrow. What I would learn on the car ride home was that Dylan had been befriended by those bigger, taller, popular sixth graders. Dylan knew they were in his corner. Those sixth graders had his back. Dylan 
was safe. See, that's God for us. His power makes him the biggest, tallest, most popular kid on the playground, and he is for us. He's got our back. There's no kryptonite that can take him down, and he has no Achilles heel. And here's a spoiler alert. In the end, God wins. 2 Chronicles 26 says, You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none are able to withstand you. God is all-powerful. There's nothing he can't do, right? Wrong. God's all-powerful, yes. But is his power limited? Yes. Okay, don't get up. Listen. When we speak of God being omnipotent and all-powerful, it's critical to understand exactly what that means. It's critical you know this piece of the pie so you don't get hung up when someone challenges you with this. This is the truth. God cannot contradict his own nature. This is the bottom line. God is able to do what he wills, but his will is limited by his nature, his character, who he is. So it's 100% accurate to say God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. It would also be appropriate to put an itsy-bitsy asterisk at the end of that sentence because the Bible even says there are things God cannot do. But listen to what he cannot do. James 1.3 affirms God cannot be tempted. James records, let no one say he is tempted. I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. He himself does not tempt anyone. Later in Titus 1, it affirms God cannot lie. So basically, God cannot sin because sinning means God does evil, and evil is something outside of who God is. So if God were to sin, he's going against his own will, his own character, his own nature. Think of it a different way. Consider I go home today, and into the fridge I go, and I find a head of rotten, nasty, molded lettuce. To say that I can't eat it doesn't mean I'm physically unable to eat the lettuce. I have the physical ability to pick up the lettuce, cut the lettuce, put that nasty, rotten, moldy lettuce into my mouth, chew it up, and swallow it. However, I say I cannot do that because the idea of that is repulsive to me. In the same way, it is possible for God to be omnipotent and all-powerful and yet not able to sin. It's legitimate then to say there are things God cannot do while maintaining he is all-powerful. And I don't believe that limits or takes away or lessens his great power. In fact, for me, for me, it affirms and increases his omnipotence. What God is unable to do are things you wouldn't want him to be able to do anyway. So believe this, God's omnipotence, his power means he's all-powerful. He has total authority, and he is consistently good all the time, period. Two, there's God's omniscience. It comes from two Latin words that simply mean all knowledge. So God's omniscience means he is all-knowing. Our God is all-knowing all the time. 1 John 3.20 reminds us, we know that God is greater in our hearts, and he knows everything all-knowing, all-encompassing. Therefore, he is perfect with complete knowledge of all things. Think back to when you were a kid or in college. Think about the most 
uh, brilliant teacher or professor you had and then realize God is smarter. Think about the most intelligent person in our history and then realize God is wiser. God knows everything that's happened and everything that will happen. He knows what we already know and what we will never discover. He knows all things equally. If you looked at my report card, you'd see I knew English and reading well above math and history. God knows everything equal. Every piece of his knowledge is equal. Nothing one more than the other. And God's knowledge is absolute and unacquired. It's unacquired, meaning everyone has learned from someone except God. We say that again. Everyone has learned from someone except God. You know what you know. You're an expert at what you're an expert at because someone taught you or you taught yourself. But there was some learning going on. Not with God. It's crazy. God learned from no one. He's the beginning of knowledge. Let me say it again. He's the beginning of knowledge. It's easy for us to wrap our head around the idea of someone being the author of a book or the founder of a company. But our God is the creator of knowledge. He was at the beginning of what there is to know before there was something to know. Right? Before there was something to know, your God knew everything already. In fact, God's knowledge is off the charts. It's beyond our comprehension. I think we can all agree, nobody, nobody likes a know-it-all. Except in this case, God knowing it all is actually a comfort and a blessing. He knows all there is to know. A.W. Tozer wrote in his book, The Pursuit of God, God is omniscient, which means he knows all things in one free and effortless act, all matter, all spirit, all relationships, and all events, all at once. For visual, think about it this way. If this is the span of knowledge, we could probably agree that lemmings end up somewhere down here. And then doing some research, I learned that octopus, uh, elephant, chimpanzees, they, they move up the scale here. And I'd like to think we're all pretty smart, so I'm going to put us here. You know, in Everett this weekend, uh, the world was meeting the first AI teaching assistant. This uh, robot has the ability to emote and to learn and to feel and to speak and to teach. And so she's in Everett this weekend. Her name's Maria Bot, this, this uh, android human. And so unfortunately, guys, we're going to put her here in the span of knowledge, lemmings to an android. And so God probably lands somewhere there. Somewhere vastly down I-5 is where we'd find God on this chart. He's not even on the chart. The omniscience of God means that he has perfect understanding and knowledge and nothing, nothing takes him by surprise. He's got perfect vision and a divine way of thinking. Isaiah would affirm this truth when he would record this. For my thoughts, God's thoughts, are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
You know this, that God does not think the way we do. God does not act the way we do. He does things his way, in his time. And his ways, nine out of 10, are not our ways. And we can get in a whole heap of trouble when we expect him to think or act the way we do. Or when we attempt to rationalize our thinking against his knowledge or his actions. Now it's true, we are made in the image of God so we can relate to his thoughts, but there's no chance that we can ascend to or match them. And for anyone curious just how close, how close on the scale we are, the distance between his ways and our ways, God tells us, as far as the heavens are higher than the earth. The late Charles Spurgeon would say this, conclude then that it is not intended that you should fully understand God's thoughts and ways, for they are far above you. Psalm 147, 5 says, Great is the Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. Our God is off the chart. We don't know what we don't know, but God knows it all. So our calling then is to have a faith and a trust in God, even though you can't see or understand everything around us. And that includes our world, our politics, our finances, our relationships. That's God's omniscience in the big picture. But what's truly incredible is this. As God knows all things, that includes you. That means God knows you completely too. He knows you. The God of the universe, the creator of everything, the one who is all-powerful with perfect knowledge, that God knows you. Every single person here, everyone watching online, every person at our Skagit campus in Mount Vernon, the 350,000 people that make up Whatcom and Skagit counties. God knows the 7.5 million people in Washington state. God knows by name the 327 million people in the United States. He even knows the 7.7 billion people around the world. No one is left out. Not long ago, I read an article. It was fascinating about the human condition and across the board, extroverts and introverts and marrieds and singles and men and women, the number one feeling we universally desire is this, to be known. To be known. We want to feel like our existence matters to someone. That someone is seeing us. That someone's looking out for us. That someone, anyone, cares. David understood this. He wrote this. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Pause. Most versions will say the word search, but if you dive deep on that, what he's actually saying, the intended meaning here is that God examined his life. God scoured every corner of his life. And what did he discover? He discovered that he knows when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. He knows more than we think. And more than that, he knows our thinking behind our thoughts. In other words, he knows our motives, our reasoning, our agenda. And he knows what we're up to when we stand up and sit down and come and go. David continues, before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. 
You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty to attain. He knows us all personally, intimately, intentionally. And our heart knows this. It's our brain that gets in the way. Oh, I don't know. How is it that the God of the universe, who's got to be preoccupied with so much else, know anything or have any time to worry about me? I'm just one of the, of the 7.7 billion people. That's a dangerous belief because it's wrong and it's bad theology. Here's the unbelievable truth about this attribute of God. God's omniscience should change how we feel known. It should change how we feel known. He already possesses all knowledge. Therefore, God can and does have time to know you and what's going on with you. He knows your name. He knows your future. He knows your present, the good and the bad, the victories and the challenges, the joys and the struggles of just the last six days. He knows right now if you're listening or thinking about lunch. He knows how your marriage is doing or what you're stressing out about. He even knows as you're sitting here in church if you're in a place of doubt or not. That's God's knowing. God's omniscience can be comforting and also very convicting for someone who has something to hide. God's omniscience is big and at the same time very small and very personal. He wants to and does know you. The real you, the real you that sometimes people don't see, and he loves you. So you've got God's omnipotent, all-powerful, he's omniscient, he's all-knowing, and finally, God's omnipresence, simple to explain and impossible to understand. Quite simply, his omnipresence means he is all-present. God is all-present. God is with all people in all places at all times. God is everywhere. Like in this very moment, he is on the, in the Sahara Desert, population few, dry and hot and windy and sandy, but those that are there and those that aren't there, he inhabits that space. God is there. And at the very same moment, he's also in the vastness of our oceans, Maybe you've been on a boat or a cruise ship and you've been able to see from one side to the other nothing but water and thought, wow, this is big. And God inhabits all of that space as well. He's in the desert, he's in the ocean. In that same moment, he is occupying every space in New York City. Maybe you've been to Times Square and you've seen the millions of people leaving that inch between you and the next person and God is there. With every person and in between every person there in Times Square. He's in the, the desert and the ocean in New York City. He's even in Pullman at Washington State at Martin Stadium. But there's no biblical evidence that he's a Kook fan. <laughs> Just want to make sure we get that in there. He's all places at all times. No matter when, no matter where, God is there. In other words, no one and no space can escape the presence of God. Nobody, no one gets a pass. No one can hide well enough from God. Pastor Wayne Grudem describes this reality by saying, God does not have size or spatial dimensions. 
He is present at every point of space with his whole being. There is no location God cannot and does not inhabit. Look at David's realization of this truth. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee? Where can I get away from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. What we're looking at is David making peace with the fact that God is everywhere always. There is no corner of any dimension of any universe that is hidden from God. Heaven is not too high. Hell is not too low. God is everywhere. In Isaiah 41, God reminds us he is with us always. God's with us when we want him to be, and he's with us when we want nothing more than be as far away as possible. We see this in the Old Testament with Daniel in the lion's den, or in Jonah in the, in the whale, or, or uh, Joseph in the jail cell, or even today. Like in this very moment, God's omnipresence means that he is with anyone watching online on the live stream, no matter where you're watching. It means he's with every person at our Skagit campus. It means in this moment, God is with Pastor Bob and Pastor Jeff and the 40-some Cornwall attenders checking out the Holy Land. It means in this moment, God's with the man in a remote village in Africa or the woman sneaking into an underground secret church in Asia. God is with the prisoner in solitary confinement in Monroe or with the widow desperately missing her spouse or with the cancer patient who got devastating news yesterday and now is unsure about the future tomorrow. God is with the 750 kids at Bread of Life in Haiti. Psalm 46.1, David refers to God as ever present, always present. That's not to say God's spread out. He's not parceled out to every location. He's not scattered across the universe. God is spirit. He is without physical form. But know this and believe this, that God is with us everywhere, always, across all time. You know the verse likely from Revelation 22. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And though we cannot see him, we believe he is there. Be assured he's with you. We can't see air, but we know it's there. We know it exists all around us. This should be a great comfort for the believer. Wherever you go, you are in the protection and the presence of God. It can happen at any time in any place. God promised us he's with us always. Jesus would say this in Matthew 28, surely I am with you to the very end of the age. That should do something for your heart and your mind. Because in a world that leaves us feeling alone and overlooked and disregarded and second class, God says over and over and over and over again, I am with you. I'm with you. It's true. He's with us always. He sees your pain. He knows your situation. He knows things when no one else around does. In our house, we have this reminder on the wall. It reads, Christ is the head of this house, the unseen guest in every room. The unseen guest. Not invited, 
But God occupies every space in our house. And because God is everywhere at all times, his omnipresence should change how we act. It should change our behavior. I remember one year in elementary school, our teacher had a baby mid-year. And so she went on to maternity leave. And so for the rest of the year, we had substitute teachers. And I remember one we gave a particular hard time to. We were just a rowdy bunch pushing the limit. And one day she had had enough. And she slams her hand on the overhead projector. The lamp in the overhead breaks. And she says this. Would you act this way if your teacher were here? A class of 30 was silent. She got it. She got her attention because she was right. There was no way we would have acted the way we were acting or saying the things we were saying had our teacher been in the back of the room watching. It's been said that we are who we really are when no one's around. Well, spoiler alert, God is always around. Sometimes we don't act like it, though. We definitely love to know God's with us in troubled times or when we have to make a big decision or we're lonely or we're seeking him out. But foolishly, we try and forget that God is around. He's omnipresent in times like being alone at the computer or with wandering eyes or when we say just enough not to lie or we have to weigh the right decision over the wrong decision. Church, may we accept that God is omnipresent, that he is always with us, and embrace that as the unseen guest in our everyday lives. God is a lot of things. He's patient and faultless. He's perfect and refreshing and pure and loving and compassionate and sovereign and creative and faithful and just and merciful, forgiving and holy, and he's just plain good. And for our limited brain comprehension, these seem really easy to grasp onto and apply to our knowledge of God. God's loving, yeah, I I get that. God's forgiving, yes, I I understand that as well. But God is also all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He's all-present. And to fully understand those completely, as much as we may want to, is impossible. And so that is when we shift gears from logical, linear thinking to engage our faith. To resolve to accept what we can understand and let our faith do the rest. Hold on to our faith for what we cannot understand. And when you can land the plane there in your faith journey, allow God's omni-attributes to be a comfort, not a concern. A blessing, not a burden. May you be comforted and blessed by the bigness, the majesty, the greatness of God's omni-attributes and not weighted down and worried. Don't wallow in what you don't know. Hold firm to what you do. And don't give in to naysayers and social media and certainly the enemy because they will try and divert your path. Be comforted with these truths. God does not want his attributes to bog you down, but just the opposite. Who he is should lift you up. Believe 
that our God has every possible power at his command and he's willing and he's ready to fight for you. He's in your corner and he's not limited by time or circumstances or your condition or your brokenness or your weakness. God's power is unlimited and it gives you the confidence to take on tomorrow. Believe that our God is with you wherever you go, whether you're running from or you're running to, he's right there and he's got the same posture arms open wide. He's close to us all. He's inescapable. And believe that our God knows you by name. Know that he sees you like there's no one else in the room. He knows you personally, knows everything about you. And despite what you think makes you unworthy and unlovable, he loves you. That's our God. There's never been anyone and never will be anyone like him all-powerful, all-knowing, always, everywhere, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, attributes of God that are unlimited and absolute. And that, and that is the incredible truth about God.